everybody. It's November 20th, and this is This Week in XR, uh, featuring Paramount's futurist, Ted Shilowitz, and our friend Joanna Popper, who is the head of go-to-market for HP. So let's talk about HP going to market, Joanna. I couldn't be more excited about the coming G2 headset. Excellent. We're really excited, too. They started shipping out. Customers started getting them mostly in, in Americas and in Asia, and they're coming soon to Europe as well. That, it's been, it's that is so, awesome. so great to see people, you know, all the posts online with the boxes, the game, you know, them talking about the new games they're playing, the clarity of the headset, the audio of the headset. It's been really, really exciting for us, for Microsoft and for Valve this week to see everyone out there you know, using their G2s for the first time. And I think there's been a lot of pent-up demand for, for a high-end tethered headset, the ones that are out there now, uh, perhaps with the exception of the new Index, um, you know, have major screen door problems. Can, yeah, I ask a, can I ask you a question, Joanna, that I know you won't be able to answer, but just to set things on the right track with all the people you work at at HP. The question I would ask in your near future is when are you able to bring all that amazing fidelity into a fully mobile untethered product? Because I have a strong belief, I know Charlie does too, that that is the future of this medium, that connecting to a wire to a computer is not the future of this medium. Um, so that's my question that will be interesting to see how you can well, one it. of our big rules at HP is we can't talk about any products that we, future products that we are either working on or not working on that we have not announced. So uh, if you guys want me back on your show, I just can't <laughs> talk about that topic. I'm, I'm sure we will. Um, <clears throat> there was an enormous amount of news this week. As opposed to most weeks, uh, it, it was a little hard for us to figure out, you know, what the top stories were. But you know, sometimes I take a step back, you know, when we get it all compiled and I ask, what does this mean, right? What is this trend that's going on? And the thing that got my attention was Roblox going public. Mm. Uh, this is a game metaverse that is only a few years old. It's a five, seven years old, yep. um, you know, made by essentially students They've got 150 million users. They're on track to make over half a billion dollars. They, so it does make sense economically when you look at the whole company for it to go public, but I think it represents something much, much bigger. Well, I think it's UGC, right? As a, as a general terminology, user-based content is starting to become the order of the day. It happened first with video, right? with YouTube as this little nothing thing that, that, that exploded onto the scene and then continued to re-explode into the gigantic business that it is today. And now we're essentially seeing it with the UGC of graphics and graphics capabilities as game engines get cheaper and more accessible and the ability to build things without having to go into a very sophisticated code stack, basically just object-based drag and drop um, while, while you're keeping a close eye on Roblox, I'm keeping a close eye on Sony Dreams because with the PlayStation 5 launch and the power of Sony Dreams and what it can do as kind of the interesting like overlord underdog, right? Roblox is like the apple of everybody's eye right now. And Sony Dreams has like this amazing like UGC creationist world that not a lot well, of so Can you back, real, uh, go back to the beginning a little bit and tell me more about Sony Dreams because I really uh, have not 
don't have that on my radar screen at all. So Sony Dreams is, a, is basically Sony's answer to Roblox. It's a UGC creationist tool. You build all the material inside the PlayStation itself with the controller and, and the material. And I think you can export it out. They have a VR version of it where you can make games. Someone's already done like a VR uh, Beat Sabery clone in, um, uh, in the PlayStation VR with it. Um, I think we're all waiting to see what PlayStation does with a next-gen headset that's going to be more uh, like appropriate for the 2020 age and beyond and not yeah, although they, like they recently said they're looking at 2022 for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think it'll be probably a mixed reality headset, a combination VR, AR device, and it'll probably be untethered. You know, it'll be a wireless mm -hmm. connection to the device. Um, but Sony Dreams is, is one to watch. Like it's a, it's, it, there's a lot of unlocked power there. Well, a lot of the heads, upcoming headsets, including the Quest, are going to make more and more use of those external facing cameras. So, you know, I think it'll be assumed going forward that at least for entertainment purposes, you know, headsets are going to have that dual capability. And there is, you know, just as we talk about VR, since this podcast is XR related, there are a couple of small startups that are taking the kind of Roblox-esque um, mentality and bringing it to VR, albeit a much smaller market. There's a small little startup called Tavori that does a non-code-based, you don't use Unity, you don't use Unreal, you basically build games inside the headset by, by kind of like you know what Medium does and, and Tilt Brush does, but you can actually keyframe things and build things and you can actually build experiences and they've done some stuff for I think, um, uh, not Comedy Central, which is the one I work for, but the other one, <laughs> the other big comedy uh, cartoon network uh, and, and a few other things. Um, and it's, you know, it's a cool little thing. It's very like Roblox and VR. It's small, but you know, there's, there's growing interest in that too. Yeah. Joanna, it, what do you really do? Po points to that the connect, you know, we were talking about UGC, but the connection between creation and consumption and how it's, you know, the, that merge, the merge between creation and consumption as a form of entertainment. Yeah. So do you agree that Roblox is the big story of the week? Well, we think it's the G2, but, you know, there's, we'll, 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 give, we'll give room for a few, a, few, a, a few stories to have be the story of the week. We'll, we'll call it time. It's certainly probably the biggest economic story of the week. I think the OPPO uh, glasses is more on point to uh, looking at the future and another turn of the moment of where this stuff is headed. I, I was thinking about this this morning um, when last time I was in China, OPPO had these series of ads in all the airport where there was this famous soccer player. Um, I'm, I'm gonna get it Neymar? wrong. It's like Rodrigo, or it starts with an R. It's the Ronaldo, Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yeah, and yeah. basically he has the phone up against one eye and that's the ad. And it's like, what are they saying, right? They're saying, well, this is the world of, of that, right? It's interesting, the last time I was on the show with you guys was the, the Unity IPO. So I guess I, guess I come on all the weeks when that's we have right. big, yeah, yeah, big right. IPOs. So, um, you know, interesting, as long as we're talking uh, about Something is playing in the background, so keep going, guys. One of my iPads or something right. turned on. <laughs> music. I'll be back. So, as long as we're talking about headsets, um, interesting that Amazon is back on the promoting the frames. Uh, you know, Facebook was promoting its approach to AR when they launched the Oculus Quest 2. And, you know, those glasses, which I guess they're working with, with the company that makes Ray-Bans, you know, are going to be very stylish, but not exactly um, digital glasses yet. They'll interface with your smartphone and, you know, bring in better audio 
uh, for music and uh, Alexa's duties as well as uh, regular old phone calls. Interesting because Bose pulled the plug on their effort, which, you know, they, in my opinion, didn't really give enough time uh, and let it sort of get into stores and get into people's consciousness that these kinds of smart glasses, these audio-based smart glasses uh, actually exist and people like owning them. Um, you know, my big problem has always been, you know, it's another thing to plug in. And, you know, the more friction, the, the more incredible the benefits have to be. Yeah. So I'm you and I've sure had this conversation before, you know, I think where you, you were, you know, sort of pro AirPods, whereas I was more pro glasses, yeah. um, which is interesting because you actually already wear glasses. And I, and I, I don't. And you know, I've, I wore the Bose frames for a couple of weeks. I have another pair that actually, oh, yeah, here they are. They're, they're prescription. And mm -hmm. they don't, I think I wore them on the show and they look like um, regular glasses pretty much. Um, so, so, but, but yeah, now I'm back to my, um, yeah. AirPods because they're really, really good headphones. Yeah, I've been what using I, what the I like, What I like about the glasses, I guess, as opposed, is that they do have other functionality, right? So for you, they're, they're helping you see. For me, yeah. I use only, you tend to use them more as sunglasses, but I wear sunglasses most days and then I also sometimes- Well, sure, them. you live in LA. <laughs> As a or as a hair accessory, you know, to put the put, to put the yeah. back up. So, to me, it doesn't it's, work I, for me. <laughs> you know, because because you know your earphones are also one more thing to charge, and then they don't have any other function. But the glasses, at least, you know, yes, are another thing to charge, but they have other functionality. Do, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the Bose glasses. I've worn the first gen, just like you, Joanna, and now I have both of the second gen ones. I really like the sport ones. That, it, it, it yeah, um, not because of the style. I mean, they look a little Terminator-esque, which is fine. But I've been at the beach for two months, so they're perfect for that. And the 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 receivers are bigger. It's a bigger set of glasses, so it's clunkier, but it's way louder. And that was always my criticism is it just wasn't loud enough in loud areas. But I absolutely love the fact that there's nothing in my ears. I like the fact that it floats over my ears like headphones and mm -hmm. it's super comfortable for long periods of time. I use them all the time. I use them almost every day. I'm a huge fan of them. Um, and it leads me to that belief thesis that when you get it right, now we've got the A experience right, the audio experience right. When you get the AV combination right, that's the next revolution which is why I was so keen on watching the Oppo announcement stuff because it's a me too product to our friends at Nreal, right? It's almost the same thing. They're using the same technology, but, it's, but it, they have more money than Nreal. It's a bigger company. Oppo is a huge cell phone company, right? So the device itself is a little sleeker, but I still believe that we're right in this sweet spot of if everybody goes back in time, remember the Rio, the Apple, the, the, the music Rio player that Steve Jobs saw and went, this is right, except that it's completely wrong. Now let's make something right. So we're kind of like in that stage with mixed reality, where this is like, you're seeing the Rio player over and over and over introduced by like 30 different companies. And here's Apple just waiting on the sidelines, just like they did going, that's all right plus wrong. Now remove all the wrong stuff and make the iPod. Kaboom, right? That AR version of the iPod, I believe, is coming, and they're absolutely learning from every single one of these companies mm -hmm. that are doing it slightly wrong. And that's just my, my thesis on it. That's what's coming. So um, here's another piece of news that we've talked about before, I think, uh, also with you, Joanna, because when you were on uh, the Apple Epic Games 
Mm, um, we did talk about that. You know, fracas had just started to happen. And, and of course, it's been going on for a while. Um, a, a judge said, you guys can fight, but you can't penalize everybody who's using Unreal Engine. That has nothing to do with it. Uh, that seemed obvious and retaliatory, but uh, the fight goes on. Um, often, you know, it's a fight for public opinion. And so Apple has taken a step and they're reducing their commission for developers who make less than a million dollars a year. And, and a million dollars a year is not nothing. There are many small app development shops that are, you know, two or three people and some freelancers. So I think it will affect a large number of people, although uh, apparently only, you know, five or 10% of the revenue Apple gets from the App Store. So App Store revenue is disproportionately made up of games like Fortnite. And I think that's why, um, you know, Apple has been so reluctant to compromise with them or look at the business model for the App Store. What's interesting is you think about, and I don't have the exact data, but, you know, generally it's, you know, it's that 80-20 rule where you have, you know, 20% making 80% of the profit. So of course it would be the big ones, but in the court of public opinion, at least they're bringing like the small indie develop, you know, you, you have, you know, giants that, you know, are big enough to take on each other that, you know, you know, like, like Apple or Facebook or, or uh, Epic, although Epic's not quite as big as, as Apple, of course, but you, know, you have, you have, and then you have all these indie developers. So at least they're bringing the, they're bringing the indie developers over to, the, to their side and, and, you know, giving an olive branch, at least to the indie developers. But maybe, so hopefully maybe it's just, maybe it's a first step. Well, and, and what's sort of telling from my perspective is that what Apple is doing is actually very Epic-like because what Epic has done for many years now right. is create a threshold for small indie shops and young people trying to develop games that essentially it's all effectively free up until a certain revenue threshold and then you start paying the pop, right? right. And so, so all really Apple did was just kind of turn the tables a little bit and get a little PR win at the same time by saying, we're going to support up to a certain profit level, which they know that they, they leave the whales out of it. Like all, like you said, Charlie, all the big profit stuff doesn't play by these rules, right? It's all the little guys. And what they hope is that one or two of those little guys become a big guy and make even more profit for Apple, which is exactly Epic strategy is let a lot of people dance around this. And then eventually you're going to get a giant hit and Epic's going to make a lot of money. And that's, so does, does um, the Google play store follow? I don't know. Do I, I haven't tracked, tracked, I'm in the Apple ecosystem. So I yeah, no, they haven't, they haven't announced anything. Yeah. Uh, so two, uh, Oh, here's one that I wanted to ask you guys about. Joanna, have you ever heard of OpenStreetMap? Mm -mm. Ted? Mm -mm. Never nope. heard of OpenStreetMap? Nope. Apparently it's a crowdsourced version of Google Maps. Mm. And what's more, Google Maps and Apple are among the companies that are contributing to it. So it's like Waze a little bit, but for it, it, walking well, again, instead of driving? It's sort of an open source thing. Which is it self-reported or is it, is it just data from your phone? Um, when you say it's crowdsourced. It's a distributed community of mappers um, mm -hmm. who are all over the world and they contribute to a common repository, mm -hmm. um, you know, which has a licensing mechanism. Mm -hmm. But it's a unified uh, critical infrastructure um, so Facebook is supporting it. 
right? They don't really have a map at mapping the way Apple does. But interestingly, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft are also collaborating on this technology. And my thesis here is that they all recognize that while they're going to have a proprietary AR cloud for their own service, there are going to be a lot of services where they need, um, you know, for example, for such a visual, you could have visual search, but only if it cut across everybody's silo. Right. Right. So I think, I think this may be sort of like 60 AI is, was, was acquired to help Niantic build its own digital version of the world or digital twin of the world. I think that has its place, but you also want one that's shared and the one that's shared can really scale unimaginably. Whereas the ones that are proprietary will be super specific and related to news feeds and, and things that are proprietary today. Interesting. Yeah, say it says it's the free wiki world map. Yeah. And I then the, of course it makes, it makes a, their a product uh, accessible to independents as yeah. well. Yeah, open commons. Now, right? So, open data you know, commons database. Yeah, exactly. I, I certainly know the right person uh, that would know all about this. And I think, Charlie, you, you met him too, my friend Dave Lorenzini, who was one of the uh, founders of Keyhole. Original, yeah, one of the original uh, MAPS team guys. So maybe we could have him on as a guest and he would yeah. tell us all yeah. about Dave, open source. Dave, Dave, Dave is Keyhole, terrific. Right? Wasn't, yeah. I think it was, wasn't it originally called Keyhole? What, yep. what Google Earth yep. turned into? Yep. Exactly. Um, so two big software launches this week that I'm excited about. Uh, one I wrote about on uh, yesterday, which was the launch of Wolves in the Wall on the Quest. Um, it is a terrific three-part series based on the Neil Gaiman graphic novel about a, a little girl and her imaginary friend uh, who are defending her family from an invasion of uh, wolves, uh, which are, were, I guess, uh, imaginary, but then manifest to destroy the family. So uh, it's, it's a really interesting story, well told. Uh, they used Quill to make it. The graphics are wonderful, but there's a big twist here. And the twist is that the heroine is a virtual being. Mm -hmm. And like all movie stars, she's got a life outside of the movie that she was in. So her name is Lucy. She's a 10-year-old girl. The world of the movie doesn't exist in your relationship with Lucy, but it's like, imagine you have a kid sister or a friend's daughter or someone who has a, a relationship with you, on, a light relationship with you on social media. And then it, it evolves in kind, into a, a kind of role-playing game where you really develop a relationship with her. She tells you about her life, and she asks you questions about your life. And it supposedly remembers what you talked about last week and asks you follow-up questions about it. Oh, how did that go? So uh, they're, they're signing up a limited number of people to have a relationship with Lucy and see if they could develop this sort of virtual being friendship and, and gamify it. So it sort of becomes virtual friendship as a game. Yep. So, so, so here's, here's an interesting sort of topic to, to prick on both of you. Um, when do you think, because the three of us are in that small collective of people that will go to felt 
festivals, both VR specific and VR plus film, you know, festivals like Sundance and Tribeca and stuff, year after year after year, and watch these wonderful pieces of work that never ever seem to ever find any commercial success. What does it take to migrate something from the art world, the creationist world, the completely non-monetizable that needs to be supported by corporate grants or funding from you know, large tech companies and companies involved in this business, what does it take to get past the threshold of it's art for art's sake, it cannot find commercial dynamic. Is VR just simply a medium that's relegated to high levels of interactivity and limited basic storytelling, but not particularly nuanced storytelling? Is that just what it's going to be and what needs to change? I'll dovetail that into part two of this question. The new Star Wars piece of that VR thing is a bit of a hybrid, right? Because it is using story, but it's using massive IP as its backdrop, right? What does it take for the first real indie hit to actually start becoming a commercial success? It's a really, I've been thinking about it, I've thought about it for years because I go to these things, I see all these wonderful things and then no one ever else sees them. Like we all see them, but that's it, right? They do get released on platforms, So I guess some people download them, but comparatively to like, they never reach the top 10, they never reach the top 100, right? Why not? What, what, is, the, what is the challenge? There's a couple of things I want to jump in here with. So first, Wolves in the Wall is a great, great piece. So it is beautiful. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to jump over our conversation about about the piece. We, we, we've I all, see, you know, we've all seen it at Sundance, and you know, there's been different parts. Like I think it was all at Sundance. Maybe one was at maybe try maybe Tribeca. It Tribeca. As well. yeah. It's they're beautiful, and Absolutely. the team that behind it is you know super super talented. You know, and and they. Uh, they're great at storytelling. They're great at the 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 graphics and the beauty of the piece, and they're and and the, what they're doing on the you know the AI side and creating virtual beings is also breakthrough and, and amazing. So we de definitely don't want to jump over all the great work that they're doing at Fable. So let's just give them give them a you know, shout out for their amazing work. And that you know I when I when I think about this, I also you know think about the the framing of its head. And you, you know you work you work and and Charlie and I have in the past worked in huge media conglomerates. And you know, in in those in those in those companies, you have you know you have you have different brands, you have different type of you know you have your four your four quadrant mm -hmm. types of content that, that you know you're you're putting out and you're spending millions and billions both on the, the production as well as on the marketing to get hit that four quadrant, and then you have these other you know other uh, other more indie type content, and I would say for the, you know you have, for the most part, the, the pieces that we see at the film festivals right now, or, uh, you know, or when we were going to physical film festivals, and now in the virtual film festivals that we're still attending, but in virtual, you know, they're, they're probably more, if you were going to compare them to where they fit on the overall ecosystem, they're more comparable to, to the indie films. Right, they're and super so, indie, so right. now, now with, with, you know, platform, the streaming platforms, they're, they've been able to find bigger audiences, you know. It, it, so, you know, simul you know, if 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 an indie film gets gets on Netflix, for example, they're launched simultaneously in 170 countries that that wasn't available in the past. Yeah. So now, to look at a comparison, you know, with some of the data that we have for 
uh, say Tribeca this year, for example. So I think, and, and I don't actually remember the exact numbers. So if Lauren Hammond's watching, forgive me, because I'm probably going to totally butcher all your numbers. You know, but in the past, there was, a, there was a handful, a few thousand people that would get to see all of the pieces. You know, we would be there. Uh, and then, you know, we have a thousand other friends and, and other people in the industry. And then, and then people who just, were, you know, are new tech, uh, uh, you know, very into film festivals or new tech adopters. And then, but now that those have actually moved online and people all around the world would have, would have right, to buy in, have the ability to see it, they're able, you know, they're, I think, you know, 10xing the number of people or more that are actually seen. So we're starting to see that. But I think, I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't look to these, you know, immediately like, why aren't these becoming start, you know, why aren't these becoming four quadrant immediately? Because I don't know that even that's the model that they're looking for right away. I guess what I'm, what I'm asking is, when do we think we'll have our Blair Witch moment? Now there is a Blair Witch VR, right? But when will we have our moment of a couple of kids that made something for 30 grand that explodes and becomes this cultural icon? And did we already have it with something called Beat Saber, Beat Saber which effectively yeah. was a super indie title that cost those developers out of, uh, I think, the Czech Republic yeah. almost nothing to make. Yeah, they were mobile really. game guys, and it exploded. And obviously, Facebook bought it. That's the success. I, I guess what I'm asking, I don't really have an opinion on this. I'm just asking the question of when will the medium start to find something other than these massive hyper successes with effectively modern Wii games, right? I mean, all the big successes in VR are effectively high physics, fairly low fidelity, fairly, they're certainly not sophisticated stories, right? Um, and people keep trying, but they don't, it doesn't work yet. And is, that, is it a device problem? Is it an ecosystem problem? Is it just a maturity problem? Like, is it gonna be another 10 years until we have something, like many years ago, to give you an example, there was a game that I fell in love with that I, I'm still in a small collective of people that absolutely love this game. It was a game called Heavy Rain. It was on the PlayStation 3 initially and migrated to PlayStation 4. Probably neither of you you've played it. Maybe you don't even know it. It is such an amazing storytelling narrative journey that lives inside the gaming world. And I would say that like a massive, massive hit like Uncharted, which, right? Um, took a lot of its learnings from how to weave story and interactive from Heavy Rain. I don't know if I'm correct about that, but I'll make that thesis. I'm wondering who's gonna learn how to weave interactivity and story in the right way when we get our first monster Half-Life Alex? Pardon? No. Well, Half-Life Alex. Infinite Sandbox. Half-Life Alex, that's a good example, right. But Half-Life well, Alex- they are, They're good at, you know, they, they, they know storytelling and they know right. gameplay. And it did make a lot of money. You're right. It, and it was a commercial success. You're right. Good point. Yes. Joanna, it is always great to have you on our podcast. We are over time. Uh, Ted, those are great questions. You know, that's one of those rabbit hole conversations where you <laughs> and I have to talk ourselves out to, to get over it. Uh, it's a great way to think about it. And VR and narrative is something actually I've been looking at with my students because there are a number of genres that, that are developing some better for indies than others. Uh, let me also say, as we're um, signing off here, congrats to ILMX Lab. Uh, they just released Star Wars Galaxy Ed, 
to on the quest. I had to do it for 10 minutes last night. I was exhausted, but I had to do it. It was a big download, totally worth it. I had 15 minutes of fun. I know what I'm doing later this afternoon when my Zooms are over. Uh, so another terrific piece of work for a VR headset, and that's certainly, you know, at a moment when the Quest, I think, is on track to be one of the gifts of the year, uh, there's going to be a there there when this newer, larger audience arrives. And that's, that's great, great for everybody in the industry. Uh, no podcast next week. Happy mini Thanksgiving, everybody. And uh, we- Don't travel, but still enjoy yourself, right? Exactly. We'll see. Also, you also, tomorrow is VR day. So if you if you have a chance, pop into Alt Space. People will yes, be there. Yes, that's right. VR day is tomorrow. Twenty four hours. Good day for us. Yes. I'm on. I'm on with a uh, Noni de la Pena, Kira Benzing, Christina Heller, and Carrie Shaw between eleven a.m. Okay, and one p.m. Uh, an all woman, an all woman panel. I love it. Well, we're, we're, it's a succession. You know, we're all yeah. you know, different half yeah. hours. But and, and but are, are, Ted, are you on? And Charlie, are you guys in? No. Nope. Jump in. I'll, watch. I'll be, a, I'll be a, a visitor. I'll be watching. Be visitor. I'll be yeah. doing the same thing I do every day here at home. <laughs> zooming? Uh, zooming, doing VR, and playing with my puppy. Aw. Can we see the puppy? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. They, can you see him? I have virtual background. You have to turn off your background yeah. a little bit. Let me see. There he is. Yeah, yeah. The audience wants to see the puppy. He's resting. All right, you guys. Signing off. Ciao. Good to Love see you. you. Happy Thanksgiving. Mwah. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs>